outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at FishingBooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 249, and today on the show, we are breaking down two successful rut hunts to hear about the ups and downs the good things, the bad things, the lessons learned, and what we can all take from them to help us on our own hunts coming up in these next couple weeks. Alright, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx, and today on the show we have got myself, we have got Dan Nine Fingers Johnson. We got my buddy Ross Haas. And um, we were supposed to have our friend Corey, but he's he's right now playing hard to get. He's he's not uh, responding to our phone call. So Corey may or may not be with us at a later point in this episode. But the basic reason why this crew is here today is because we want to talk about rut hunting success stories. Because, uh, Dan, you've got a success story, don't you? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy in a way how everything turned out yes yes, yeah. yes. and ross you got a success story don't you yeah i got done pretty pretty quick this year which which was great but i'm kind of wishing i could spend a little more time and stand with the buck tape yeah it's kind of ridic- yeah. kind of ridiculous how quickly you started and ended your season <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't know i don't think i'll ever do that again honestly. oh man <laughs> And um and I've got I've got a very interesting set of rut stories too that I wanted to talk about. Um, I don't have the happy ending yet, but uh, I still think it's possible. So I figured that could be our game plan. We can walk through our hunts that happened over this past week. We all have some pretty interesting things that happened, and I think we can learn some things from those things too. So pull some lessons learned out of each one of these success stories understanding what the setup that worked for you guys, understanding how you went about it, why you think you're successful. Um, I'm thinking that should be a good way to kind of help some other people get prepared for their upcoming rut hunts as uh, we move into that second week of November. Um, so Dan, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go to you first because you have been playing the suspense card so heavily over the last couple days (laughs) on your Instagram story. Like you just made people wait and wait and wait. Um, 
people just want to know the details. So can you just walk us through your rutcation and how the hell this all happened? Man, I tell you what, it's been an absolute emotional roller coaster without sounding dumb. I mean, that's what it, that's what it's been. Um, I, I mean, here's, here's the very short story. Shot a buck, took me two days to find him, uh, had tons of blood. It started raining, lost, lost the blood and, and went back the next day after, oh, after 10 hours of looking for him, uh, Two of those hours were gritting in pouring rain. And then the next day I go back to where I lost last blood with another guy and he's laying right there. Wow. Well, it just blew my mind. The the whole, the last 24 hours or 48 hours has been a blur. Can we get the the non-short story though? I mean, if we're going to get just the short story, the podcast is going to be super short today. <laughs> right, so, right. So, so, I mean, what do you want me? What do you want to talk about? The details well, of the, of the strategy. Well, let's first hear like what your how your rutcation went leading up to this. What you're thinking, how yeah. those first few hunts went, and then and then let's deep dive into that specific day. What the strategy was leading into it. Why you sat up? Why you set up there? And then what actually happened? Let's do that. Before that, though, I want to take a quick second to thank our friends at Onyx. And I'm actually right now, as I'm recording this, on a white-tailed deer hunt with Steve and Yanni and the rest of the Meat Eater crew. And Onyx, the hunt app, is something that I've been using on this hunt, not only just to look at, let's say, my aerial views of the property or the topographic lines on the property, um, but also because you can save waypoints. And then you can take those waypoints and then you can share them with other people. So a situation that I'll probably be doing maybe later today or tomorrow with Steve is rather than trying to say, hey, Steve, go drive down this road, park at the big oak tree, walk down the two track, turn left at the apple tree, climb up the hill, and then go down to the swale. Rather than that, I can just text him a waypoint from my Onyx Hunt app. I can just share that waypoint with him. He can click a link and it pulls up on his phone and then he'll actually have that waypoint now right there in his hands. He can walk right to it. It's a whole lot easier than the original uh, situation I described. So the Onyx Hunt app is great for you as a solo hunter, but it's also terrific if you're there with friends and you want to share spots where you're going to hunt or if you want to maybe say, hey, this is where I got last blood or this is where the deer went down or this is where I last saw the deer or this is where I think you should go try to hunt or this is where the big scrape was. Uh, whatever it might be, being able to share those waypoints is a really handy little tool to have. That's on top of all the other things with Onyx. Like I mentioned, the great map views, the fact that you can measure distances, you can measure areas, you can... Um, do a whole slew of different things, all right from the convenience of your mobile device. So if you're interested in trying it, if you haven't yet tried it, would encourage you to do so. You can go search for Onyx on whatever mobile app store you'd like to use, or you can go to onyxmaps.com, and if you use promo code WIRED, you can get 20% off. That's W-I-R-E-D for 20% off. Yeah, okay. So day one of my rotation was this past Friday, and, um, I went into a pinch point, uh, not, not really knowing what to expect because like I mentioned on earlier podcasts, uh, you know, earlier this month or last uh, late October, I had nothing on trail camera that even excited me. You know, um, there wasn't a ton of deer sign. Uh, I checked my trail cameras and just let me break this down for you. Coon hunters, small deer, coyotes, some random guy walking through the woods and other hunters. 
that's what was on my trail cameras. So I didn't really, I didn't, I really didn't know what to expect. So on Friday, I just go into a stand that was historically a, a, it's a pinch point where there's decent trail camera pictures in the past of deer kind of cruising this area. And I walk in there, I set up uh, in this pinch point. I see one doe cruise through pretty quickly. This is uh, what, November 2nd. And then about 20 minutes later, here comes this three-year-old 10-pointer that I have trail camera pictures throughout the whole summer. And uh, uh, he came uh, within 50 yards, I'd say, of me uh, on a different trail. Nothing that I was really interested in at that time. Uh, Got out, went to uh, Saturday morning. I went to a... uh, this basically it's a a travel corridor between food and bedding. They drop down off this ridge, come to a Creek bottom. And and then they kind of, depending on the wind direction, they go, uh, to the South uh, on a, they go to the South on a uh, South wind and they go to the North, uh, Ridge on a North Ridge on a North wind. And I was hoping to, uh, catch them in this. It's, it's almost like a pinch, but it's more of a travel corridor and there's a big giant scrape that's worked over uh, and I have a trail camera over top of it. So I said, I'm going to hunt that stand in the morning and then I'm going to check that trail camera right after that hunt. And I get in there, it starts to be daylight. Um, I see, I hear something kind of running in the distance. Um, I'm like, Oh man, it might be on tonight or this morning and nothing shows up. Nothing shows up. Nothing shows up. I go, uh, I, I finally put the horns together. I was like, man, I want to see, at least see something. So I rattle and, uh, then it's just, it's just like one four corned. And then 20 minutes later, it was like a 50 inch three pointer. You know what I mean? Just like nothing, nothing that really inter- interested me, nothing to get me. I mean, I'm glad I saw deer. I'm glad that rattling worked, but I, I, drove around the section i was seeing doe groups still nothing you know like there's something about a doe group when it starts if maybe you start to see a single doe or just or fawns only yeah then you then you know mama's off with somebody you know what i mean but i'm still seeing these big doe groups so saturday morning uh saturday morning was really the my I then went around and I checked more trail cameras that I had nothing. And then it started to rain. And so I didn't hunt. I didn't hunt. No, oh, it rained all during the day. And then finally it stopped raining long enough for me to this crazy wind. So I went and hunted in a, in a standing cornfield, uh, saw, uh, a couple bucks. And by the way, which is hurting the property that I'm on because that, cornfield that I, I still hunted in was loaded with deer and come to find out that a grain bin collapsed in a cut, like a, a grain bin collapsed and uh, another one in the area went out of business, I guess. And the farmers don't have any place to put these crops. So wow. there is a ton, a ton of standing corn in the area that I hunt and standing crops, period, beans as well. So to the west of my property is standing beans and to the east of the property is standing corn and there's no place for the farmers to put it. 
they they don't have room in their grain bins. So, and and the the co-ops don't have room either. So, this is not good for me, right? All of the bad things that you know, as far as a hunt, uh, the rut is concerned, you don't want standing crops. You don't want guys uh, coon hunting you know, your property. You don't want guys four wheeling through it. You don't want other hunters there. You don't want high, you know, coyote numbers. So I was getting a little stressed, man. I was just like, you know, this sucks. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and how many days did you that, have allotted? Um, I'm not honestly scheduled to go back until the 19th of November. Oh. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so Saturday morning happens, it rains. I can't drive back to the main farm because it's just too muddy. So I, I still, I still hunt Saturday night and then the rain comes and it rained and it's all day Sunday. It rained and it rained and it rained and it poured. So, um, I had this feeling, right? Because two years ago after the rain came, the, I, there's like a break in the weather. The fronts pushed through and I knew that after, and I'm not talking about just like a couple hours worth of showers. I'm talking about 12, 14, 15 hours of solid rain. It's going to wash away these deer bedded down. And all they're going to want to do after that is eat and make fresh sign. And I needed, I couldn't get to the back of the farm to where I wanted to go. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to use the standing corn to my advantage because I want to see what's coming in and out of the timber on this, uh, uh, you know, a part of the property that I very rarely hunt because uh, it's just close to the road. Typically when the crops are out, it, you can see into this, it's, it's pretty close to the road and all these, all these things just make this, area not good when the crops are out but because they're standing corn there's this huge buffer now between the road and where um, i eventually go in and uh hang this tree stand so do you want me to get into the actual the actual hunt now yeah let's dive into it okay so here's how this works right imagine a imagine a uh, a corn, like a, a corn field. And it's a, just a big square. Now take the, and then of that square, it's made up of four similar equal squares. And the top left corner of that square is drainage off this field. And it's full of thorns and brush and just nastiness that the deer, it's so thick, the deer don't even go in there and bed because they can't. It's just so many thorns and whatnot. And past that into the timber, it's like there's an old road that was there 50, 60, however many years ago um, that, that the farmers would use maybe when this was all pasture, long, long time ago. And this two, it's like a, maybe enough for a four-wheeler now. And the, the deer like to go through there. They cut the corner and they, they kind of cross the drainage because there's that, the road is there. It's like, I, I don't even want to call it a road. It's basically a terrain feature, if this makes sense. On the opposite side of this really nasty thicket that nothing lives in. That connects to the south to a fence line that runs on the west side of this cornfield. And as you know, and everybody knows, sunlight on a fence row that's bordering a timber, it's really thick. 
from maybe the field edge to, I don't know, 20 yards into the timber. And what that does is it creates an edge on the inside of the timber. So you have a field edge and then you have this, like, it's, it's not impassable. There's trails that run through it, but it's really thick. And then outside of that, where the timber starts to open up, there's trails that run along that. And there's, uh, there was a, a rub and an old scrape, right? The scrape was old because it was rain. I, I don't want to say old. I want to say it wasn't used. Who knows how fresh the last time it was used because uh, um, it had rained so much. And, I'm, and I had a southwest wind. So that wind was blowing into the thicket. And that terrain feature was just on the outside of that thicket. So my, my thought process here was I'm going to set up in a tree to where I can look down this ridge that leads up to the cornfield and the draw, the lower part. So if something comes up over the next draw or, or comes up the draw or comes from the next ridge, they're going to loop around and they're going to use this, uh, this, uh, terrain feature because it's not going to, they may not want to go into the cornfield yet. And sure enough, man, like this is when it gets, so I set up and from a strategy standpoint, a lot of people like to hunt scrapes on field edges. I would have never seen this deer if I was hunting a field edge. He didn't eat, he was not interested in coming out to eat. He wasn't interested in, um, he was on a mission and so I get set up, you know, I tuck, I text our buddy, Ben Harshine. Yeah. And I, I, the text message says, I have a good feeling about tonight. Sent that at three fourteen or something like that. Sitting down, you know, it's, it's overcast. It's, it's like one of those days where you don't know why it's not raining because the clouds above you make it look like it should be raining. So it's dark. I mean, it's just real dark, you know? And and it starts to rain again then. So I'm, I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to get wet. So I, I stand up, I turn around, I face the tree, and I start to put on my rain jacket. I have one sleeve in my rain jacket, and I hear a twig break behind me. And I'm like, man, there's no squirrels out right now because everything's wet. It's rain. It's raining. I look behind me. He's at 20 yards looking right at my tree. And I, I look at him and I instantly know who it is. Let's go back to March. Remember I had that really good day of shed hunting Mm -hmm. and uh, I found like nine sheds in 40 minutes, all in this grass area of this field. Yeah. The big, the biggest one that I found was this buck, and he was uh, last year. He was uh, he was an eight mainframe eight with he had really good mass mainframe eight with a little crab claw out front, and and this year his well his left slide with a crab claw blew up, um, and the crazy part was. I didn't have very many, I I didn't have hardly any pictures of him. I was always thinking about this buck because the shed sits right next to my computers. It's one that I pick up and hold all the time and, you know, fiddle with. And um, so I honestly thought that that day, Sunday night, 
if I'm going to see this buck, it's going to be, it's, it's probably going to be tonight. And I, and I don't know what it was, Mark. But do you ever get a feeling like, man, something's going to happen tonight. Like, I, yeah. you know, you know, some, and sometimes they happen and sometimes they don't, but this particular, this particular buck was on my mind and it's almost like I visualized him into existence. It <laughs> yeah. was, cr- it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. So anyway, back to the story, right? Now we know who this buck is. I identify him easily because now that crab claw is a huge crab claw. He's like this massive, massive side. And he's walking. I can hear him walking right towards my tree. And I'm like, oh, my God. Already I'm going to screw up, right? I'm I'm Because you've got, you've got your rain jacket halfway on at this point still too, right? Yep. Right. One arm in my rain jacket. And so what I'm like, I got to get this. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So – I'm, so he's walking right towards me, you know, now he's at 15 yards. Slowly, I'm take slowly, I'm taking my rain jacket off. I, and I flip the seat of my lone wolf up and it's one of those thicker seats. So I I actually have a shelf, like a very small surface area where I lay my jacket down. And now I'm facing the tree, my bow holders to, to my right. And I don't know if this deer is going to go left or right. Because when he does go pick a direction to go, I have to make a move. And he starts to go right. And that's good for me because all I had to do was turn around. And in one motion, I clip in and I pull my bow off the hanger. And when I do that, I look to my right and he's at four yards, I would say. Four or five yards. I ranged it. So it was four yards from my stand. And, and he's, and I just see the big side walk right by me. And I'm just like, man, I can't, like, if I move now, I'm surely going to get busted. I I probably looking back on it now, I probably could have made more. I could have done jumping jacks in the tree and he probably wouldn't have noticed me. (laughs) He was on a mission. And so, so I see, I see him, he's coming at me, take my rain jacket off. I clip in and I draw back and as I draw back, he's behind a branch and I'm just like, no son of a gun. What am I going to do? So I did a squat in the, in the tree stand. So I'm bent over from elk season. Right. Paid (laughs) paid off. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm squatting down and my peep sight's not lining up. So I had to, I had to pull my head back, realign, get my kisser button in get set up and there he is. He's, he's hard quartering away. And, and I'm, and I'm like, oh, I got an opening. I settle my pin and I'm not, I'm not carried away. Right. I'm not like, I don't feel like I have buck fever at this point. Right. I identified the buck. I, I had to make sure that everything was ready. I took a breath. Couldn't, couldn't get set. Backed up, took another breath, went in, did my, you know, I, I put my kisser button on my lip. I put my string on my nose, you know, check, check, anchored, release. And you hear that, I don't know, like you're punching meat, right? Uh, it's just a, a hard, hard, good sounding connect. He mule kicks and then he takes a hard right turn. And he runs two steps and he disappears behind a pine tree. And that was the last time I saw him. He went, I, I, 
I put my binos up. I couldn't see where he, where he went, nothing. And I'm just like, Oh no. Oh my God. I just shot uh, one of my hit list bucks. Right. And with that mule kick, I was very confident in that shot. Right. I was just, I was aiming for, I was aiming for, Oh, somewhere right between the, the, I don't know, like the, the back rib and the front shoulder, which on a hard quartering shot, it's a very small target. You know what I mean? Yeah. And do you, did, did you actually like, where did you really aim at that? Cause I know in the past you and me both have had situations where we, you know, it just happens so fast. And did you, yeah. were you able to slow it down the moment and be like actively choose exactly where you aim, pick that little spot or was it still a little bit of a blur yep. blackout kind of like it has been? It, I tell you what, it was clearer than any other time. That's awesome. Right. Good. So I was, I was clear now for those of everybody who, you know, follows me on Instagram, that's not how it ended. Right. But so I called my buddy Ryan and I'm like, dude, I just hit this buck, blah, 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 blah. We start talking over scenarios, right? He was hard quartering towards, um, we start talking about, um, you know, okay, what if the hard, arrow went hard here? Hard quartering okay. away, right? Yeah, hard quartering away, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I'm like, I, there's a part of me that there's this gut feeling, the initial feeling that you get when you release the arrow and it connects with the deer. My gut feeling initially was dead deer. He's done. He's done. And, and I had a good feeling. I saw the mule kick. Uh, he took off running like a, you know, like deer do when they get shot by arrows. And I was very confident. I called my wife, called my buddy, we, um, uh, Ryan, we went over scenarios. Um, and I waited 45 minutes in the tree. I, I said to myself, okay, man, go down, check in the site of impact, look for the arrow. And there's, you know, and th th there's, that's what you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to slow down. You're going to take all the proper steps. I, I, I tear down all my stuff out of the tree. I set it down at the base of the tree, walk over white hair. And I'm like, Oh boy, because white hair means belly means inside leg uh -huh. means a whole bunch of things that are not a good shot. Right. And, and so there's no blood impact. I, I do kind of a 10 yard. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to look for blood for 10 more yards because in the past I've had deer double lungs, even where they don't start leaking until they get a bound or two out. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to look for 10 more yards. If I don't find deer, I'm backing out the entire night. I don't care. This, this buck is big enough to where an old enough and a hitless buck, I'm going to give him as much time to die as he needs. Um, and, and I back out. And if you've ever waited 24 hours for a, for a deer, you know that uh, that's when the doubt starts to creep in, right? That's when all these crazy things start to, you know, like all the craziness starts to happen and your mind starts playing tricks on you. And, and you're like, dude, you, you shot that deer in the neck. That's where there's white. Dude, you shot that deer on the inside leg you know, or, you, you know, all these things. So 
like, I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking here, but this is the story, right? I mean, oh, it's great. That from from we wait all year to hear from this the, stuff. I know, I know. So from the moment I saw him to the moment I released an arrow was I would I'm gonna say somewhere about twenty to thirty seconds. He pops up. He's walking over a ridge at a good clip. Uh, I didn't have to stop him. He stopped. He looked like kind of behind him, but up the ridge a little more. And I let him have it 24 hours. Right. I'm trying to, I'm talking about like getting dogs and it's funny. Ross actually contacted me cause I, I made a post on Facebook or on Instagram and Ross is like, dude, you can't use a dog because dogs are illegal in Iowa to use to track deer. Oh, Ross, Which Ross Hosted, you here on the other line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. So you're awfully he's, helpful, he's man. Telling, yeah. So he's telling me, cause I made a post. I'm like, Hey man, I want to use a dog. And he comes back and he's like, dude, you can't use a dog. It's illegal. And I'm just like, ah, oh, you kidding me? That's a like, stupid law. That is a stupid law. But I guess in the past, some people have taken advantage of it and it's like, Hey, I'm tracking a deer. Yeah. The deer's still alive. Right. You're tracking it with four other dogs through the woods, you know, anyway. So man, the doubt creeps in. I'm, I'm trying to get a rally of people to maybe come help me. And, you know, it's the rut. All my buddies are hunting. So they at least want to do the morning hunt and then come out with me. And, uh, so I wait for a while. Um, and then I'm just like, dude, my initial reaction was, was I slammed it, right? That I, a dead deer. And so I go back to, I go back to the side of the impact. I'm, I'm looking up at the tree, looking at the angles. I'm actually, at this point, I'm trying to find my arrow, see where my arrow's at, see where my arrow's at, find arrow, no arrow. I'm like, okay, the arrow is still in this deer at this point. I walk about 40 yards from the stand. Oh my God, there's a drop of blood. He's bleeding, right? And that right there is the start of it, right? That, that for me was like this, <gasps> A little bit of sigh and every step. Exactly. Every step I took after that. Oh, blood, 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 a little bit of blood, 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 big blood, big blood. And at this, at, you know, when you, you get that first big gusher pile, you're like, Oh yes. Dead deer, confidence, 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 your build. And I'm, so this happened, Mark. This is no joke. This happened, this amount of blood for 400 yards. Wow. Go down, go down, down the ridge, down into the valley. You know, this is almost really close to where you found the Mark Kenyon shed, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know exactly yep. what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. So how it all drops down into the spot. Yep. And, and so, so it's blood, 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 more blood, blood, lots of blood. And it's one of those blood trails where you're walking through the timber following it. You don't need to bend over. You don't need to get on your hands and knees that much blood. Right. So he goes down, he crosses a, a, a little bit of a dry Creek bed, comes back up blood, following it blood. And all of a sudden the blood, I get to a spot where the blood is just, it stops, it shut off. And I'm like, this is not good. So I start to do what everybody, you know, what you're supposed to do, mark last blood and you start doing your circles, right? You, you go out five feet, look, go out six feet, look, you know, 10 feet, look, nothing, nothing. 
And then I'm like, okay, let's see how hurt this deer is. So I go up the, up the ridge, the nearest ridge, and I find blood. So now what he's done is he's walked, he's walked away from where he got shot. He J hooks back up an opposite ridge. And now he's walking in 180 degrees, an opposite direction from where, where he's at. Right. Blood, blood, blood. I find a bed. I'm like, he laid down. He's hurt. Walk up the trail a little bit more blood, blood, blood. There's another bed. He's hurt bad. Right. He's hurt bad. I'm the next over this next ridge. I'm going to find him blood, blood. Now the blood starts to slow down a little bit. Right. Blood is starting to slow down and I'm, you should see me right now. I'm, I'm telling you this story and I'm pacing in my mom's guest bedroom, like re- re- reacting all, you know, all this, but, uh, it starts to go to a drop. Right. And then, and then, and then I get to a four wheeler trail and I'm like, Oh boy. So, and so now this four wheeler trail leads to a road. And if he crosses this road, Oh boy, we got a whole nother problem. So at this time I'm up top. I call my buddy, my, another buddy. He's, he's actually going to help me. Uh, he gets out of the tree. He comes help me look for this deer. Um, and as he's driving to where I'm at, I find another drop of blood in a, in a, a field. So what he's done is he's now he's got off the four wheeler trail. He crossed through this very like seven, eight foot thicket that goes to a fence line. He jumps the fence. He walks this field edge, down 10 yards, jumps back in the timber. So he's now he's double back. He's double backing again. So this is where my buddy comes in. And now that the blood is getting a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less, uh, and we're having to slow down the track job. We find another bed and I'm looking at this and it looks like he only, only half of him laid down, right? Like this is not a full bed, but there's blood all over on in the inside. And, that, and at this time, I'm like, man, this deer is going to bleed to death. Why haven't we found him yet? This is after 24 hours. Uh, no, I'd, I'd say about 12 hours because I shot him at about four. And by the time my buddy joined me, it was 1030 the next morning. Okay, so 18 hours. 18 hours. Yep. 18 hours. Right. And so we, we dropped down off this ridge again. And we're heading right back to the original blood trail. And sure enough, he crosses the blood trail. So now we don't know if we're following his original track or the second time he's come through the area. Oh gosh! So, so I had to mark with my arrow where this, where this deer crosses, crosses the path of the original blood trail. And then we, so he goes one direction up this one drainage. I, I drop down to this uh, uh, other little dry creek bed and I see a track. And I'm like, oh, that's him. That's got to be, that's a big footprint. I, I'm walking up this dry creek bed. I'm following these big set of tracks. I look up on the side of the creek bed and there's more blood. He popped up out of this creek bed and he's now back on dry land or he's back on land. And as he did that, he started to bleed again. Blood, 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 stop. Blood starts going uphill. And I'm not talking a little bit, a little bit of incline. 
I'm talking like one of those big inclines. Like, okay, if this deer went up this, he's not hurt as bad as I thought he was. Right. This is an insane track job. Yes, this it's this the, the track job is the story of this buck. It's not the it's not the thirty seconds I saw him. Right. It's not the shed shed antler. The story of this buck happens after I shoot him. Yeah, and and this is how much I respect these animals. After this, his will to live was so strong that he was doing everything he possibly could to avoid being detected and and kind of fast forwarding a little bit, he goes up, he comes straight back down. And as he's coming down, he goes to a crick bed. Um, we lose blood. This is like the biggest time frame from when we lost blood to when we found blood it was about 15 minutes. And we, I start gridding ridge at uh, this one ridge going up to a, a bedding area. And, and now, and now I'm just like, Oh man, what did he do? He went all the way up this ridge and just to go right back down the steep side again, back to a drainage. It's almost like he knew he was being going to be tracked and he knew that, that someone was going to try to follow him. And he, he needed to make that track job the most difficult. It's almost like he knew what he was doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> then I find a big chunk of fat. So I'm like, okay, you don't get that you don't get that from just a, a rear end shot. Let's say if you, you shot him in the hind quarter, right? There's guts in play here. So this deer, I know he's going to die. It's just a matter of finding him. So I'm looking for this blood. I'm looking for this blood. And all of a sudden I hear my buddy. And I don't know if you guys have ever had this happen where you're looking for a deer and you don't find blood. You can't find blood, but you hear a buddy go blood. Best and I was feeling just, in the world. Oh, dude, it's like when Mario eats a mushroom and he's like, whoop, 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 and he goes, he's faster now. You know, like yeah. he can go, he's ready to go. And I was just like, I needed that energy, followed blood 60 more yards and it started to rain. And my heart just was like, we didn't find any more blood. So I'm like, all right, buddy, I don't even know what to do. Let's like, I wanted to help my buddy out. He, he gave up his afternoon hunt for me. I took him to a local diner. We ate lunch and, uh, we parted our ways. I came back out to the farm and I started gritting ridges in the pouring rain. It's just pouring. I, and I'm, I'm going through the thickest, nastiest stuff I could find. And I'm just like, I have to like, I was on a mission. Like I had blinders on all I wanted to do was find this deer yep. and then it, and then it started getting dark and every second more doubt creeped in and more doubt creeped in and more doubt creeped in. And I, I, I was getting frustrated. I was angry at myself. I was, I don't know. There's all these emotions that were going through. I just shot the, one of the biggest bucks I've ever drew back on. Right. This is probably the third biggest deer I've ever drew back on. And he's a five-year-old. I have history with him. All these things are, and, and now the doubt's creeping in like, dude, you just wounded him. He's, he's going to get eaten alive by coyotes. It's like you have this little voice in your head calling uh -huh. you a dipshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I go home and have a couple glasses of whiskey. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> just to, just to calm down. 
and I didn't sleep that you know very good that night again, and and so my stepdad gets a text message from one of his buddies who's a follower of the Nine Fingers, and he's like, "Hey man, if Dan needs help, I'll help him out." And uh, I'm like, "Dude, I'll take anybody I can get. I'll take a blind guy right now. I don't care." So he shows up at 7:30 in the morning. I'm like, "Hey man." I really appreciate this. Let's go. I'll kind of, I'm just, I got three more ridges that I need to grid. And if he makes it past this, this fourth ridge, he's going to live. Like that was my goal. Like I had this, I think it was 280 acres that I wanted to, to grid. And if I didn't like, I wanted to search this area after blood and I was shed hunting. I was basically shed hunting at this point. Right. And I said, I got these two more ridges or three more ridges. I want to go check. And then after that, if we don't find them, nothing. So we start on Ridge one and I'm working down, looking through all this, these, uh, treetops from when the loggers came through. Um, he's up top looking in some thick bedding area. I go down, I pop over top of the ridge and I'm working my way back up towards him. And I say, any sign? He's like, no. I said, yeah, me neither. I look at him and I say, all right, how about I take you down to where we lost last blood and I will, um, and what I'm going to do is that way you'll be able to see the lay of the land better. Uh, you'll get an idea of what this deer already did and I'll walk you through. And he's like, yeah, that's a good idea. We start walking down the, this ridge. <laughs> I thought my eyes were screwing with me, dude. This deer is laying where I was standing the previous day where we lost blood and it started to rain. This year, he was laying dead, literally where I was standing. Literally, Mark. This deer didn't die on that next day. He died after I left the timber the, the, that day. So he, he, he was still alive at some point for 30 hours or so after I shot him Jeez. and, and he, and he was, uh, dude, I know what this deer was doing, man. He was in a position to where he was wounded bad. He knew he needed to find good wind, good bedding. And he watched me come off that ridge on that blood trail the next morning. I bet he was, he was, he was watching us from some position. He was watching us track his track him. And as we left that final day that on of all days, my birthday, I didn't find him. He came back into the area. He didn't want to cross the road. He probably didn't know that area. He didn't want to go to the South. He probably, he felt comfortable in this area. So he was, he was okay with making loops because he was able to see see us, hear us, smell us coming through the timber. And he was always one ridge ahead of us. And I, I, I lost my mind, dude. I just got emotional, right? I was like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. I can't believe, like, I was, I was like acting like a little kid. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I was, it's the greatest feeling in the world, dude. I've lost two deer in my, in my day that were giants right? A shipwreck. And then another booner that didn't pan out. 
And luckily those two deer were alive. And the whole time I'm thinking about this, this is one of those moments where you're happy you found him, but at the same time, you know, dude, you know, this deer suffered. This wasn't a clean kill. This wasn't the, the kind of kill that we hope for. This is one of those, this is one of those kills that's, that nobody talks about. This is the, this is the kind of kill that the deer probably could barely lay down because the arrow was still in him. You know, the, the, the violence of hunting come kind of came out. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the unfortunate, the very unfortunate. Yes. Occasional reality yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reality was that this deer did not go out easy and that made me enjoy this moment in a different way. Because although I am glad that I found this deer and I was able to recover him and he's going to go on my wall and I'm going to be able to share this story with my children and all the people who asked me the same time, I, I didn't accomplish a goal and that's to make a quick, clean kill on an animal. And in the moment, I, you know, you go back and I have this moment where I'm like, should I pull the trigger and the killer in me? Cause we kill animals, right? The predator in me said, do it. And I did it. And I, I killed the animal. I got him, but it's not the way I wanted it to, to be. Mm-hmm. So as equally as happy, I don't even know how to say this. I am, I am, I'm equally happy on two sides. One, I'm equal. I'm happy that I found the deer. I'm equally unhappy that how he died. Yeah. And I'm unhappy that I'm not going to be able to use the meat. And I'm unhappy that he suffered uh, and that it took so long. But this is a reality of this is the reality of hunting that sometimes they're not all double lung shots, man. They don't all die within range. And it sucked to know that. Um, and it's bittersweet. Yeah. So the, there is a certain contingency of the hunting world who to this would say, and and they've said that I had someone send me a message saying this to me because I had a somewhat similar situation to you uh, with my Nebraska buck. I had to wait till the next day to find him because the shot was a quartering shot. It was a little bit back. Um, said that you shouldn't bow hunt if this, if if you hit a buck like that, you should, you should quit bow hunting. Bow hunting is not efficient. It's not, um, as effective as, as a, as a rifle or something like that. And so for that reason, you should not bow hunt. How do you or I, how, how do we respond to something like that? How do you respond to something like that? I mean, what's the, if you told me, Dan, you couldn't bow hunt anymore, you you might as well take my arms. Yeah. Oh, I just, I don't know, man. That's uh, if someone told me, I don't know why I'm getting emotional, man. It's it's part of me. It's, uh, it's it's my definition. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you, man. Woo! 
<laughs> this I I understand what you're feeling. And I think and I think if and I imagine similar to kind of the thoughts and feelings I had after the Nebraska hunt. It's one of those things that what you went through, what happened, right? There's nothing you can do now to change what happened, right? What happened happened. Right. But what right. you can do is is while we do understand, and I said this just last week, that as a bow hunter, you're never going to be perfect. No matter what you do, it, it, there's just so many things that happen that are outside of your control. But you can always strive to be more perfect, right? So right. I imagine right. that you, just like I, trying to find ways, how can I keep it getting better? How can I try to minimize the potential for errors again in the future? What, I mean, right. right. That's all we can do as a bow hunter is constantly striving to, to, to improve, to get better, right. to become more effective. Um, but and here's what I'll, here's what I'll say. I've never loved nature more. I've never, this is, this is the debate internally that I, dude, I love nature. I love animals. That's it's, it, it goes hand in hand, but as a bow hunter, I honor this animal by killing it. And yes. that's hard for some people to digest. It's that and ultimate paradox. Exactly. And knowing that this deer suffered broke my heart, man. But at the same time, I, I'm okay. I'm I'm tough enough and okay with that because I accept the reality of bow hunting that it is not sometimes like you said perfect. Yeah, man. That's um it's yeah, it's it's you know when I got that comment, that message to me, it really pissed me off. Um yeah. but at the same time, you know, it's it is a huge responsibility that we're taking upon ourselves when we say that we're going to go yes. out there and we're going to chase an animal using this tool that inherently is difficult, inherently is a challenge, and that's part of why we love it, right? That's why bow hunting is Absolutely. so – that's why it's so kind of all-encompassing because it requires so much of you. It requires yeah. such a level of, of competency and attention to detail, and um, it's not something you can just pick up and take off and, and go do. Like you have to put – your heart and soul into it. Um, but sometimes what, what, and that's why I I'm so tore up about it is because I did put my heart and soul into it. I did do all the work to make it as clean and as possible, but the outcome just happens. Dude, Tom Brady loses football games sometimes, right? The, no matter how much practice stuff, shit goes wrong. Yeah. And this is where the, and, and this happened to me. And dude, I hope no one ever feels the way that, you know, I hope every shot's a, you know, a double lung heart shot. I, I wish, but it doesn't happen. And you you take it, you move on, you learn from it. You try to take away something from it. And I'll tell you what I learned. I learned so much from this, like maybe what I should have done different, maybe what I could do better next time. And, but also what deer do when they're, hit bad yeah. right where i need to look Did, what what they're what they're thinking when they're when they're wounded like this so what where, what was the shot describe where it All came right. in where it came out and this is this is probably going to be like dude but let me tell first off i want to tell you this 
I was shooting my elk arrow, right? Heavy arrow. And the, uh, not only did it have a, a heavy arrow, but it was a fixed blade. I do not feel that I would have found this deer if I had a mechanical broadhead. Okay. However, fixed blade, you know, not a lot of momentum loss on impact. I went through the hindquarter. I went into his, into his guts up through like his stomach and I hit his liver and it, the arrow exited out of his brisket. So the entire wound channel was the length of the arrow. I, when I, when I found him, uh, I found the, uh, I found the back half of the arrow inside of him. Gotcha. Wow. So on, on this hard quartering shot, right? It was, uh, on this hard, on the hard quartering shot, even a little miss to the right was a, yeah, was a big miss. You know what I mean? However, my equipment saved me, right? My equipment went from him going off and dying and me never recovering to him to causing the right amount of damage to luckily I was able to find him. Yeah. Okay. So in retrospect, now looking back on it, do you think, where do you think the error was? Was the error in the fact that you chose to take that shot? Did you just, maybe you shouldn't have, or was the error in the execution of the shot or was there no error and just bad luck that that something happened? Have you like, have you tried to in any way put a finger on what maybe was what happened or is it just too hard to say? It's, it's, um, it's a combination of all those things, right? I probably should have turned her. I should have taken more time to look at his body language. Maybe he wasn't going to bust me. Maybe I had time to turn around and shoot him at four yards broadside. Maybe I should have let him walk by and, you know, Hey, he's, he's, he'd maybe respond really good to a grunt. He was upwind to me, uh, when I shot him. So let him walk, hit him with a grunt. He comes back. Right. Maybe I could have done that, but ifs and ands, man, yeah. uh, you, I, I can't do that. I, I mean, th- this is what happened next time. I might be a little more patient. Maybe I'll, I don't know. And I guess that's, that's, that's the more important thing. What I, what I'm trying to get, I guess, is what's, what's the takeaway from this for you, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, the, I don't know, because I feel this is going to sound bad, but I feel like I would take that shot again. Um, I, I was calm. I was collective. I, I, I missed a target, right? Yeah. Um, what is the goal when you go out into the timber to hunt a deer, right? It's to kill it. I killed it. Not the way I wanted, but I killed it. Um, and it, if you kind of, you go all the way down to the common denominator of what, I mean, it's not what hunting is, but hunting is taking the life of an animal. I recovered him. I just didn't do it in time to, to save the meat. And that's, that's, that to me is the biggest disappointment. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, you, you know, I mean, you certainly have felt the feels you've, you, uh, you, I'm sure have learned something from this and it's going to change you and it's going to make you a better hunter in the future. 
And um, at the same time, while like you've 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 identified some things that went wrong, some things that led to less than perfect outcomes. Um, what I think is really, really admirable, and I think that anyone listening to this or who followed along with a story from afar, um, I think you set a tremendous example of just the, 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 the commitment you had to finding this animal. A lot of people yeah. would have given up a lot sooner, and I think that it's, it's, it's so commendable. It's so important that people do this because this is the kind of deer that a lot of folks would be like, meh, you know. Even after a couple times when you mentioned you lost blood for 15 minutes, some people bail after that, let alone after it starts to rain, you lose blood. I know people that would quit after that, um, after walking around all day. But you kept going at it, and two days later, you found that buck that would have gone completely to waste, um, would never have known what would happened in that case. But at least you were able to recover him because you kept after it. And you yeah. can you can take something and learn from from this experience, and I think that's um, that's a that's a great thing, and I think a great example you set there, Dan. So, and there's something. The thing there. about it is, yeah, and the thing about it is, I would have done the same thing for a doe. Yeah. Right. You, you have to. Yeah. The animal, the you're taking a life, and they deserve everything. So. I don't know. They're the one who's they're the animal is the one who pays the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Um this is this is a good this is a this is a really great even though even though there's a lot of unfortunate elements to what happened, which you've already yeah. you know, you've talked about, um, it is a powerful learning experience I think that everyone listening can kind of take from this that yeah. I think is 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 a helpful thing for people. Because I know many times in the past when you or I have had some stories that didn't go quite as perfect sometimes those are the most helpful for other people because they need to know that, yeah, yeah, you know, sometimes these things do happen and it's, 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 it's not, it's not okay. in that you, we don't want it to happen. You don't want to happen again, but sometimes bad things happen despite all the work and effort and time. And and you need to, there's something to be said about understanding that yes, these things happen. We can move on from it. We can get better from it. And I think um, you honestly sharing this story is, is, is a great thing for people. So I appreciate that, Dan. Um, Ross, you've been really quiet over there. What, uh, do you have any questions or thoughts on all this with Dan? Cause I know you've kind of had some kind of similar experiences over your years too, right? Oh yeah. I've had a lot of, I mean, situations that kind of played out the same way, but I think the only way, really the only way you get better at it is just by, I mean, you can practice all you want and try to make it like automatic, but you just, you got to shoot deer to get better at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Amen. Um, and so like one of the things I was thinking about when Dan was talking is, is like if anybody hasn't shot a lot of deer and then they're kind of like, they're kind of like our buddy Peter is kind of having that trouble where they're a little nervous to shoot deer. Um, shooting deer is just, you're going to get better if you shoot more deer. So I, I'd like, I'd focus on shooting a lot of does, um, eating a lot of does and getting better at that so that, you know, when a big buck gets in front of you, you can, you can make a count. I know I've had a, a couple mix-ups and a couple bad shots, and um, I've lost a couple deer. Um, sometimes just because I got probably just got a little buck fever. Um, another time maybe misjudged yardage, but it's really hard to mimic those situations, like on a range and and um, just shooting at targets. So just getting yourself in those situations and 
and shooting deer will make you a better hunter. So don't, don't beat yourself up too bad over, you know, bad shots or losing deer because it's going to happen to everybody and it's going to make you better over the long run. But, um, I know it's made me a better hunter. I've become more conscious of all my weaknesses and, and what I have to work on, but I know I did struggle with that in the past. Yeah. And to but your point, I know I, I, what's that? No, go ahead, Ross. I was just going to say, like, I do a good job getting myself in front of deer, but the moment of truth has always been a little bit of a struggle for me, but just, yeah, it's all those mess ups. Just, they, they make you better over, over, over the long run. You can't beat yourself up over it. You're going to be a better hunter because of all the situations. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can keep in perspective and you can, you know, you want to feel bad for the deer and you want to respect the deer and everything, but it is, it is part of it. And ultimately we're out there to kill deer. So there's some the bad things that can happen, but, but, um, yeah, you, don't you, beat yourself up too bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You do it. You do everything you can to minimize the chances of those things. You work as hard as you possibly can. And then sometimes you accept the realities that aren't always perfect and, uh, you grow yeah. from it. Um, but you make a really good point. Yeah, it's, a hor- it's a horrible thing. I've lost a lot of sleep over some, some of those years. It's a terrible feeling and you feel horrible for the deer and you feel just terrible about the situation and, and you feel and, terrible uh, about the YouTube but, but comments. You grow from it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I pretty much put wired hunt on the map. Um, <laughs> um, I'm sorry, yeah, Ross. But... Is that too soon to, to start throwing you under the bus of that no, one? Yeah, right. Oh man, that was a rough one. That was a rough one. Um, well, he would see. He was he was 32 yards, and I thought he was 25. That was the whole problem with that. And I could uh-huh. I beat myself up for so long, but what it, you know, like just. It's the way it, it, way it goes, and yeah. next time I'm going to make sure that I don't I don't make that mistake. And that's the thing. I'm sure that you know next time you're in a situation like that, Ross, you you you're better hand, better suited to handle. And Dan, next time you're in a situation like this where you, it's a fast moment, you got to like heavily quartering away deer. You'll have you'll better know how to handle that situation. Um, yep. Same thing like for me when I've got a buck coming in right towards me, and then he opens up a little bit. I think my issue with that Nebraska deer is. Very similar to your situation, except for yours was, it was a quickly, you thought you were going to lose your shot opportunity because he was quartering away, and mine was quartering too sharply, and I was worried I was going to lose my shot opportunity, so I probably should have waited one more beat, and I didn't, and, um, you know, these are, these are learning experiences, so. um, Some of the things I've I've learned, too, um, over time is, you know, like you said, you evolve as a hunter, like initially you start off. You, you just feel like you got, you got to shoot deer. You got to shoot deer and deer's there. You got to shoot it. And then eventually as you evolve, you start shooting deer and you don't really have to shoot deer anymore, you know? And so when you get in those situations where you got to make a quick shot or you got to make a tough shot, you can just, you can just wait for something better, you know? But when you're younger, you seem to like you go through that phase where you want to just shoot, shoot, shoot and mm-hmm. take the first shot, take a quick shot. You don't really think it through. Um, but I think that's just part of all part of growing. We all get there at different different points in our hunting careers, but but uh, I think eventually you get to a point where you know you just you don't even have to take those shots if they're not if they're not going to be a hundred percent. Right, and that takes that takes a lot of a lot of self control to <clears throat> to know when 
when you can't take those shots. Because to your point, there's a lot of pressure to when you when you're when it's in the window, when it's in range, there's a lot of pressure on you with all the time and energy that's gone into trying to get to this one moment. I certainly have found myself in that situation where I look back on something and I'm like, man, did I, maybe I shouldn't have even taken the shot. But in that moment, it's like, got to get the shot. Um, that takes a lot of probably maturity and experience and some hard lessons learned along the way probably to, to you know, for each of us at different points in our lives to get to that point where there is a deer in range and you just know that it's not it's not the right opportunity. That That's not easy. It's easier said than done. Absolutely. Um, Dan, I know you probably have to leave here pretty soon, right? Um, yep. Real fast, do you have a second to just share one last thing I, I wanted to know is just uh, we, we focus a lot on what happened after the shot, but is there anything right. about your setup or anything that you think led to you actually getting that opportunity? Like, Why do you think you got the shot at this buck? Um, I, I, got, I got the shot at this buck. I'm, this is going to sound crazy. I'm almost a hundred percent. I'm 99% sure he walked through my wind stream, my, my, my downwind scent stream to get to me. Um, so that terrain feature that I've mentioned earlier, my wind was just cutting that. Right. And he came from that direction. I think that he, I think the wind shifted. I think he walked through it, um, at some point, which it shouldn't, it, it probably shouldn't have played out like that. You know, I sh- he, he, there's a chance he could have busted me, but what I'm getting at is that's how aggressive I was with the wind that night was, Hey man, there's a chance if this isn't going to work, if this deer comes in a little too far to one direction, he could, he could bust me. And that's how aggressive I, I played the wind. That's how aggressive I play my stand location set up right i mean my goal is your goal is to always make the deer feel like they are 100 percent confident in their their path and you're there to not you're you're there to just you know you're you're there to surprise them mm-hmm. and that was the only deer i saw he was the only deer i saw that night and what was he doing was he just cruising this this kind of ridge system deal you think yeah Yep, I think he came out of his bed on the next ridge over um, at the end of it. Uh, I think he walked down that first ridge, dropped down into that terrain feature, and was just going to scent check that the ridge that um, I was on and then drop down into another one and, and cross the road and go into a cornfield. So uh, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't there to eat. He wasn't there to make sign. He was there to straight up, you know, he was looking for does. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's um, the heck of a buck, man. That's one of your biggest bucks yeah. or your biggest buck ever, right? Yeah. I, you know, if I was going to, if I was to ever score him, I'm sure the score bigger than anything I've ever, ever had. So that is a beautiful deer. It's a well-deserved yep. deer. And um, man, I'm happy for you. Glad that you ended up finding him. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Now you got some work to do. I do. <laughs> I do have some work to do. Um, and I want, I want to tell you the story of, of how close I've been getting to it, but you, you probably don't have time to hear it. Um, do you need to bounce now? I do, man. Unfortunately, I apologize. That's all right. Me and Ross will continue the conversation. All right. Well, 
congrats, Ross and Mark. Good luck, man. I, yeah, you too. No one's rooting, no one's rooting uh, harder for you, man. I appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right, before we move on to stories from Ross, let's take a quick second to thank our partners at Whitetail Properties. And Spencer will take it from here. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Ben Harshine, a land specialist out of Iowa. And Ben is going to be talking to us about using aerial maps for hunting the rut. Yeah, so the maps play a vital tool for rut strategy. Uh, I really want to find a map that's going to show me elevation and topography. And uh, that's important because I want to be able to hunt rolling topography during the rut. I also want to be able to use it to access in and out during, uh, you know, whether it's morning, uh, late morning, uh, early afternoon going into cover. I'm hunting cover during the rut. I'm not hunting food sources. So I want to find some topography. I also want to try to find the most secluded parts of the farm. What are the toughest places to get to just from walking? What seem like they're the safest from human intrusion? Uh, I'm trying to find little ditches and draws that don't stick out blatantly, uh, aren't as easy to get to, like maybe that big hardwood ridge that runs through. Try to find those small nooks and crannies, deeper holes. And then uh, one thing that the map won't necessarily tell you, but you can do uh, once you confirm some of those secluded places, try to find the thickest stuff and then just uh, uh, do a speed scout. Try to find those where those trails are coming together in that thick cover uh, get in a tree and, and just hold on tight. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Ben currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash Harshine. That's H-A-R-S-H-Y-N-E. So, so Ross, um, let's continue this and let's hear your story because you, um, you kill a hell of a buck too. I'm interested to hear. I haven't really gotten the details of how it all came together yet. So walk us through kind of similar to how, what Dan did, you know, walk us through your rut hunting plans and then how this hunt all came together. And I know that when I say rutting plans and hunts, it's all very limited, very small amount of time here. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe explain why I, that is too. Your whole season has been kind I, uh, of unique. What, what do you, what do you want me to say first? Well, I just said, you know, Describe the whole, your whole plan because you've been very, very oh, conservative. Yeah, you know, I, I just, um, beginning of the year, I didn't have like too many bucks. Like early on in the season, I, I need to know, I need to know there's a buck there. I need to be confident. Like when I get in a tree, I need to know, I need to be confident that I'm going to kill something, you know? Like I'm just not, I'm not excited about sitting in a tree and not knowing I could get a shot off anymore, I guess. So I'm just, I'm just okay waiting for the right time now. I don't know. It's just kind of gotten to that point. So this early in the season, I just didn't have any big bucks located. I didn't have anything I was too excited about. So I just kind of put hunting off for a while until I knew a couple of the areas that I was hunting were going to get a little bit better. So I didn't really get out till first time I got out was, um, I think like, uh, the middle of October and only you know around that 15th, 16th, 17th, somewhere in there. Um, but that hunt lasted maybe like 10 minutes, I think. <laughs> so why <laughs> it was in, I'll tell you. So it was in, the. there's this area that there's like a, there's this big, huge community scrape every year in middle of October. I think I've told you this before. There's mature bucks 
that will hit that during daylight starting middle of October. And you might get, you should, we'll generally get like every single mature buck on that scrape at least once. So middle of October, they start hitting it. Um, and that scrape is down in, it's down in this valley. And then there's, there's a bunch of like ridges and points that come down to that scrape. So you couldn't probably call it like a, it's probably like a thermal hub kind of area type deal. So, um, especially in the evening, like all those thermals, everything's dropping down and everything's just dumping right into that area where that scrape is. So, um, so like, so that, that first day was a kind of like, I know exactly what my problem is. And I've always tried to hunt that scrape specifically and I've screwed myself so many times because you just, you just can't hunt it. And I thought, tried to think of so many different ways to be able to hunt the wind and, and to be able to get in there and not have deer smell you or not have your wind swirl and all this. And I've got busted so many times. And, uh, and this year was the last time I was going to even, I'm not going to mess around going down that scrape. I think what I need to do is I need to focus on just obviously deer coming to and coming to a scrape and, and leaving the scrape versus hunting that scrape specifically. Cause that first time I went down there in the morning and the wind was kind of sketchy. It was kind of that light variable wind. And then I'm thinking I have a stand up down there and decided not to sit in that stand because I thought I would get busted. Instead, I decided to put a ghillie suit on and go tuck up in some rocks. And I don't know, it was probably, it was probably the first 15 minutes of light and the doe came walking down and I could feel like that light breeze in my face, you know, and I thought everything was fine, but she's sitting there like a hundred yards away from me what I thought was upwind and she's just snorting and snorting and snorting. So I just pretty much, I just pretty much got out of there as fast as I could. It wasn't even like sun didn't even come up yet. I just like packed up and I just pretty much ran out of there. But <laughs> so that's, that's what, that's where I screwed up. And I think I'm never going to do that. Anymore. I'm not going to hunt that anymore. I'm just, I'm done with that. I've tried so much and uh, so many times. So then the next time I hunted was that next week. And um, I went to a different farm and they just picked the corn. There's a bunch of waste and it's next to a pretty good piece of property where there's some really nice bucks in there. So I thought, Oh, I'll go in there and I'll check this finger where they like to come out and I'll look for some big tracks and see what kind of sign I can find. Um, I'll just do like a hanging hunt. So we were getting a lot of those really light winds, which is weird for fall, just lots and lots of light variable winds. And, uh, I just wasn't feeling good about the wind there. I, I thought it would just kind of, uh, I, I didn't think it would be in my favor. It was the right direction, but the way the currents probably would have been and thermals and all that stuff, I think it would have just dumped right down to where the deer were going or coming from. So I bailed on that. And then I was wanted to hunt that scrape again, um, given the time of year, because this is the 27th now. And I knew, okay, I'm not going down by the scrape. So instead I, I got up on one of the ridges. I don't know. It's probably about 150 yards from the scrape, but it overlooks that valley. So in this position, at least I can have the wind a little bit more consistent, but I can actually see what's going on down there. I can observe. And, and then, uh, it's also on the inside corner where I can catch some, some movement. So there's dough bedding down the point, down all those little ridge points on the bluffs overlooking a Creek all kind of within a few hundred yards of the scrape. Um, 
so I'm sitting there off this one corner and, uh, right away I had like a dink come through and, and then maybe a couple does and then all of a sudden a nice, nice eight pointer comes, comes up that valley and he's just like bird dog and he's got his nose to the ground and, um, pretty nice buck, but not one I wanted to shoot, probably like a three-year-old, um, nice buck. And then, uh, he kind of went off and I thought, oh, maybe it'll be a pretty decent night. He kind of came from the scrapes. I'm assuming he hit it. And then, um, then later on he kind of came back through and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. He's really working. And then as light faded, um, as light started to fade, you could hear that like unmistakable, like walking of a mature buck. You know, when you see, you hear like, you hear like a doe walk through the woods and you can hear just like that crunch, crunch, crunch. But when a buck walk, walks and he's walking with purpose, it's just like unmistakable. Yeah, there's a different you way heard, to You know it. what that, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like you're making the ground shake, you know, like you think the ground shaking. It, <laughs> yeah. it feels like that. And it's a way to wait. You know, you just know he's just walking with purpose and he's coming, he's coming down and he's coming down in the valley. And, and I'm like, I just said to myself, man, that's a good one. I just knew that that's gotta be a big one. And all of a sudden he pops out and, um, and I see him and I'm looking at him and trying to, and of course I forgot my binoculars, which kind of, I hate that when I haven't, so I couldn't tell what the heck he was because it's kind of like that sunsetting, kind of getting a little less light. The tree's hard to tell. You know, it's so hard to judge rack size when you get to that point. So I'm looking at him, and I can see it. Right away, I can see his body. just like, oh, man, this buck, is, this buck is huge. But then as I got a glimpse of his rack, I'm like, ah, I don't know. He kind of looks similar to the other buck. And I'm like, man, he's big. So I'm just staring at him, and he's he's down there just, I don't know what he's doing down there. And I'm just like, well, maybe I should just grunt at him and see what, see if I can get a better look at him. So I grunted at him two times and that thing just, he just turned and walked right up the ridge, right to the tree. I mean, like how often does that happen with a mature buck? Yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. And he just walks straight up and he's coming up towards me and I'm looking at it. I'm looking at him and trying to like go through all these bucks that I have gotten pictures of and trying to figure out who it is and all this stuff. And, He's coming up, and I'm like, no, it's not that one. No, it's not this one. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to shoot him. So I'm sitting there. I'm just sitting in the stand. I didn't even. I wasn't even like ready to shoot a deer, right? And because uh, I already wrote him off, I'm like, I'm not going to shoot him. And the next thing you know, that buck is standing like six yards in front of me, broadside. And I'm looking at him like, oh my god, that thing is huge. And <laughs> <laughs> his body, not his rack as much, you know? I'm like, oh my God, that thing is huge. I can just, next thing, you know, I like, wish, I wish I could like <laughs> hear your inner voice through this whole thing as you were sitting there thinking through this. Cause I can just imagine like the, the neurotic Ross Hossman <laughs> in the back <laughs> of your mind going crazy in this moment. <laughs> Dude, I was, it was, it was crazy. He just caught me off guard. I was like, no, I'm not going to shoot him. And then he's there. I'm like, I'm going to shoot him. And, <laughs> And there's so many things that went through my, like my brain processed it so fast. It was like, it was like, next thing you know, I just let an arrow fly. And then I shot, you know, like, <laughs> but what happened is he, he, uh, he's standing there. I could just see that big, like square nose, a big Roman nose. And I mean, just huge head on him and big body. And then at that point, like, I didn't even think about rack or anything like that. Cause my goal for the year was just like, I want to shoot a, I want to shoot a mature deer or I want to shoot like a, like I wanted to shoot like 150 or bigger or like a big mature buck, you know, 
I really want, actually this year, I really wanted to hold out for something big and just uh, try eating my tag for once. <laughs> Instead, you're not good at just that. this buck because he's so colossal. <laughs> What's that? I said you're not good at that. I know I'm not. This thing was huge. I feel like then, every, uh, I feel like every single year you always say, "All right, I'm going to hold out for a really big one," and then it gets to be like November first or second or somewhere in there, and you start stressing out because you haven't killed something yet, and then like the first decent buck that I'm, comes by, you shoot. <laughs> that is that is how that is how I've progressed, but now I'm actually getting there, Mark. Uh-huh. I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting to the point where I can eat take. This this time, uh, yeah, you didn't even wait till November, though. <laughs> no, I know. I, I'm really kicking myself now that that I'm, I'm done. But but uh, he he just stood he stood there, and I I didn't have my I was sit, he's sitting right in front of me, like he's sitting right in front of me, broadside, and I'm sitting just facing him, you know. So it's like the most awkward position to try to draw and shoot right there. So I waited for him. He took a couple steps, and then I just kind of tried to do that little bit of slight turn when I was sitting to get in position to draw. And he just got a little spooky because it was so calm, like you could, um, you could hear anything, and it was just so calm. And he just did that, like where he gets alarmed and they they spin and they take off the run. So next thing you know, I'm drawing as he's doing that, and I just mouth grunted at him. And the second craziest thing this buck did was he. Not only did he come straight to the tree from a grunt call, but he stopped when I tried when I mouth grunted at him when he was taking off running. And he stopped. Wow! And then that's when I shot him. So, so then I hit him right away. The shot I was like, oh, I'm, I, it was like good, sh- good hit. And you're watching him, and he's taking off, and you just wait for him to tip over. He got down to the bottom, and he just stopped. And then he walked, and then that, and I couldn't see him anymore, and I didn't hear a crash or anything. So then I was like, well, what the heck? What? what's the deal? I thought it hit him good. And then, it, then like Dan was talking, you know, you start thinking about all doubting yourself, thinking uh-huh. about all the other things that could have happened. And I was like, well, maybe I hit him in the liver and I, I hit him back a little too far. Um, so I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to let him go. And I'm just going to come in the morning and find him. And so I, long story short, I had a sleepless night. I think I slept like 45 minutes. Oh man. And then you're off, you're checking your phone. It's like 11 o'clock. Dang it. And then you're, you know, you sleep another 30 minutes, you check your phone, it's one o'clock. And, uh, next thing you know, I'm up at like three in the morning drinking coffee, waiting for the light. <laughs> and, uh, and so I buzz out there in the morning and I, I get there right at first light and I went to climb up the stand to get kind of like an idea, okay, where I hit him and then where he ran to again. So I could get, pick out some spots of where I last saw him. And as I was climbing the, climbing the tree, I could see him laying down there. So he just. He uh, he tipped over right away down there. I just kind of got a little apprehensive when I saw him stop and walk a little bit. But turns out I did double lung him. It was no big deal. Um, and he's laying down there, and he's my biggest, fattest buck I've ever shot by a by a long by a long shot. How old do so, you think he is? So the pretty, I don't know for sure. He's one of those bucks where I had pictures of him over the years, you know, but I I just never really paid too much attention to him and he never really had a gigantic rack. Um, and it stayed about the same size. So then, um, I had pictures of him. I just got rid of the pictures. I never saved them. And then he just showed up within that last week. And then it wasn't until after I walked up, I got up to him that I recognized him. And he probably stayed about the same, like probably stayed about like that same, like 130 inch frame size the last several years. So if I had to guess, I would say he's 
I would guess I'm at like six or more, but I'm not sure. Wow. That's pretty so, awesome. I was man. thinking about getting the teeth. Yeah, I know. It was, it was, that's why I shot them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, but man, uh, it's a bummer. I, uh, I uh, really want to be out sitting in the stands. So I'm going to have to fill some doe tags and enjoy watching some of the bucks from the, from the stand. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, um, what did he end up, what did he end up weighing? I don't know. I don't know, Mark, because I never. It's so stupid. I never weighed him. You know, you get in, get into that mode where you just like, gut them and you clean them off, and then you're cutting them off, and then next thing you know, you didn't even weigh them. Yeah, yeah. But um, I have no idea. I, you know, shot bucks at like that 200 pound mark quite a bit, but then, but this one like was significantly larger. And one of my buddies, he, he cuts up a lot of deer or has cut up tremendous amount of deer and he thought he would probably dress maybe like 240 just by a picture so i don't know if that if that um is what he was or whatnot or if he was more or less or whatnot but he he was huge so yeah that's a cool just a cool mature buck yeah i would i would definitely agree with that and what do you think when you're looking back on that you know why why did that work out the way it worked out was there something about like why was the location you were in or any other decision you made, the right one. I, you know, it. Um, historically, I just knew what the bucks did in that area just from what I've learned and observed in the past. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway for me is just to to not just to avoid hunting that bottom. Like just because that scrapes there, and just because that's where the bucks hit it, that's not the best spot, you know and the wind and stuff like that down there, I got to just get better at picking the spot based on, um, you know, hunting the wind a little bit better with that, with those kinds of areas. Yeah. It's one of those things where you just like, you see the bucks there all the time, you get pictures of the bucks there all the time, you know, they're there. So that's where you want to hunt, but it's not the smartest thing in the world. Right. If you can't you know, hunt kinda, there without deer knowing that you're there, there's no point. Yeah. And, and I could, and for the last, several years I've been trying and trying and trying to figure out and like testing wind and throwing milkweed and you know trying different spots and I can't I can't make it happen but that's the reason why they love it down there you know yeah so so I think um kind of reassessing like hunting those areas where they come and go to that scrape is what I'm gonna have to do more so get away from it a little bit but it's, it's a great spot now, uh, your wife—you don't have an archery tag now because it's filled, but your wife can still hunt. Do you have? Uh, does she have a game plan for how she's going to try to kill a running buck? Anything that you guys have have up your sleeves for the next few days or week? Yeah, but she's planning on going out in the morning. As long as my son sleeps through the night, I think she'll be. Uh, I think she'll be going out in the morning, and not really too much of a game plan. Um, just your typical like rut hunts, you know, like hunting doe bedding areas and, and just those pinch points to and from them pretty much. Yeah. Um, not nothing too crazy that way. Not no rocket science with it. Pretty much just sitting, sitting spots where the does frequent and where the bucks come to and from. So now are you going to be upset if she kills Tran? One of the bucks that you've oh, been no, keeping tabs on for a long time? No, no, not at all. Tran, Tran was kind of, Jason Tran is, he's pretty much similar to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, the buck I shot. You know, he's just got that goofy rack and he's ancient too. Man, that's huge. Buck is just, he's, he's, 
he's kind of like one of those bucks where he's just going downhill, you know, that's what he looks like. And mm-hmm. his antlers are all funky this year and stuff, but I, I'd be super excited if she, if she got a shot at him. He's just a huge mature buck and, and, uh, probably a good one to, uh, I mean, if you want to talk about like getting rid of like some of those, I don't know guys talk about those bucks that are kind of like bullies and stuff like that. I would imagine yeah. he's kind of like that. Cause I mean, his muzzle's just all scarred up, and he gets busted up, and probably not one of the bucks you want want around if you want want some of those bigger act ones, I guess. Right, the the young up and comers get all scared off by him, probably. Yeah, exactly. Probably like what Holyfield does on your on your place, or what he used to do. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't think that's happening anymore. But um, that's all right. That's all right. We're we're ready for closure, Mark. Yeah, I think uh I think there needs to be closure. But um but I'm actually thinking now that you know we um talk through your stuff, talk through Dan's stuff. I've re um I've rethought through my thoughts for this podcast. I think I'm going to hold off on my Michigan story until next time. Because I feel like to tell the story today would be too much of a beginning and middle of the story and there's not a satisfactory ending i think that if we wait till the next podcast though i might have a good ending for my story i still think i can have a good ending. do you think i might be able to have a good ending because you know you know what's happening ross yeah i i think so well what's the deal now you're you're in I'm, western michigan till how long a few more days i'm on a brief hiatus because of uh some stuff with uh, the mediator crew but i will have time to get back after this buck um, but I, then, um, but then when is, when does shotgun start or gun season start for Michigan? Isn't that the following weekend too? Isn't it? Yeah. November 15th. Um, yeah. so yeah, that will throw a curveball into things, but I'll have a handful of days still with a bow. And then I am going to go out and hunt during gun season two this year, which I usually don't do, but I think I will really? this year. Yeah. What's uh, what's your thought process on that? Uh, well, I just think that, well, number one, my, I usually go up to our Northern Michigan deer camp, you know, and this year, yeah. just cause of my dad's schedule, we can't go up for the first three days. So yeah. I'm not going to be hunting up there. I'm just going to be sitting around at home twiddling my thumbs or hunt. And I've done the gun season sanctuary, you know, for many years now, but I don't know, maybe it's time to just try hunting it. Hunting is smart, but maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much of a purist that I'm 100% opposed to shooting a deer with a firearm. I'm okay with that. Um, so why not? Why not try it once? See what happens. Who knows? Maybe my farm. Maybe this farm uh, that I usually don't hunt during gun season. If I'd hunted the last three years, maybe I would have killed Holyfield <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, so with this new deer, maybe I'll. I'd like to kill him with a bow. Hopefully that just happens beforehand. But if not, I might give this a shot. So, but I think so that's a, so I think, do you think he, I know, um, I know like a lot of people, I think I saw a lot of people talking about it too, but do you think he showed up now because, um, because Holyfield is dead? I still don't know. And now you're getting me to possibly get into the story. <laughs> but okay, I'm, never mind. Just but, kidding. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I will answer your question. I think that maybe that could have something to do with it because, 
Because, yeah, I do think the Holyfield's gone. That's my gut because I still haven't gotten any sightings or pictures or anything of him. And now this new mature buck has shown up that in the past he's not shown up during the rut at all. He's been a deer that I've known of. This is the third year that I've known of this buck. But I've always thought he lived somewhere else. He'd show up like once a year on the property I can hunt. But now he's shown up a bunch. And my best guess is that, yeah, it's probably because Holyfield's not around. You know? I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it seems like too much of a coincidence that all of a sudden his behavior would change so much. Um, and it also happens to be the first year that Holyfield's not here in the last three years. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't know. But it's been an interesting cat and mouse game. You know about it, Ross. Um, and um, yes. And I will share the full story, I guess, next time around, hopefully with a better ending. And um, if nothing else, there'll at least be a lesson learned. Um, that's what I always try to at least make myself feel better with by saying I learned something. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see. Um, but anything. Well, make sure make sure you uh, when you when you talk about the story, make sure you you uh, go over all the details to all the hunts. <laughs> it will be. It'll be great to add all that in there. Yeah, you're talking about the bail blind story, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. No, don't leave that out because that's great stuff. You're right. I got to make sure that Dan's on the podcast, though, because that's a story that Dan really needs to hear. So that's how we're going to end this one. We'll end this one by promising that I will tell you the bail blind story. And I will tell you no more until the next time Dan joins us on the show to discuss this buck I've been hunting and some crazy things that have happened, and hopefully a happy ending to that story. So, Ross, thanks for joining. Thanks for sharing. Uh, thanks for sharing your your pre rut slash early rut action story. And um, we'll have more soon. And I am running late to get to the stand here uh, for my November eighth. I think it is today, my November, no, sorry, November 9th hunt. So I'm running late on getting this podcast out. I'm running late to get to the tree stand, and there are bucks moving, so we just need to get this thing out there. So with that said, I just want to thank you for tuning in. I want to wish you all the luck in the world. Shoot straight, have a great time hunting during the rut, and stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.